Hey, everybody, this is episode 38 of Artist Soapbox. Hello, and welcome to Artist Soapbox, a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am Tamara Kassane. Today, I'm speaking with Johanna Maynard Edwards, the managing director of the Women's Theater Festival. Based in Raleigh, North Carolina, and founded in 2016, the Women's Theater Festival creates, produces, and promotes extraordinary theater by women through their summer festival. The Women's Theater Festival is happening now and will wrap up in early August. See the show notes for links to tickets and more information. We've also featured Katie Coop, the festival production manager, in episode 31 of Artist Soapbox, and Michelle Oko, director of Eclipsed, one of the Women's Theater Festival shows, in episode 37. Johanna Maynard Edwards is the managing director of Women's Theater Festival and is a graduate of NYU Tisch School of the Arts. She brings her experience from a career in the arts as an administrator, educator, director, designer, writer, and performer. She's helped to start several nonprofits, including Pi Theater Company, which she started with her college roommate while still in school, and is a former Burning Coal Company member where she helped innovate the lab program for playwrights and directors. She teaches at Raleigh Little Theater and has self-produced her original and devised works in New York City, Minneapolis, and here in Raleigh. As a mother of an autistic child, Johanna has become an outspoken advocate for inclusion in the arts and plans to work tirelessly to help make the Women's Theater Festival the most inclusive organization possible. She is passionate about connecting new communities and audiences to the theater. As you'll hear from our conversation... In the midst of acting as producer for Women's Theatre Festival and onboarding as managing director, Johanna was also seeking diagnosis and management for what she discovered was a rare autoimmune disorder. We discussed this, the myriad number of tasks that a managing director performs, radical empathy, and what it really means to be included, supported, and welcomed into creative work. Thanks so much and enjoy the episode. Hi, Johanna. Hi, Tamara. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Oh, thank you. And especially how you go, artist soapbox. <laughs> I, I practiced that in my room several times before I actually record it. So let's start with your connection to North Carolina. What is your connection to North Carolina? I grew up here. <laughs> um, I My parents moved us down here when I was five, and we've stayed in the like Raleigh, Eastern Wake County area my entire growing up. And then once I got the drama bug in high school and then went to governor school, and decided I had to be in New York. <laughs> then I took off and thought I was never coming back. Mm. And then I did. <laughs> when did you come back to North Carolina? I came back in 2007. No, 2006. 2006, I came back and thought it was just a little way station for a year that where I'd be applying to MFA directing programs, seeing my youngest sister through her senior year of high school. And then... 
gone again. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I surprised myself by staying. (laughs) And you are currently the managing director of the Women's Theater Festival. I am. How did you link up with the Women's Theater Festival? Well, so I thought that the Women's Theater Festival was... um, the best idea I'd heard in a really, really long time. Um, Ashley had kind of been on my radar because she was doing the Triangle Awards and, you know, kept popping up. And I was like, I think we should be friends. I think this lady gets me. And I'd kind of been out of the theater scene for a while. Um, I'd had my son and he was a high needs kind of child. Um And so just teaching at RLT was like my one link to the theater. And I was getting more and more depressed and having very little confidence in myself. Mm. And around the time that the first season of WTF was starting, the um, first meetings and everything, not only was my child in crisis, like he had literally, my son has autism, but he... Uh, had gotten to the point where he had almost completely stopped eating. And we had gone through all these levels of feeding therapy and um, all the best people here recommended a program in New Jersey. So my family moved to New Jersey for six weeks to get him this feeding therapy. And then we had to come home and keep doing the feeding therapy. So I have that on one side going on. And on the other side, in my head, I have, if I show up to these meetings, nobody's going to want to work with me. Nobody's going to like me. Nobody's going to think I'm any good. I haven't been, I haven't done this in a long time. And, you know, nobody's going to even remember me from the days when I was active in the theater community here. And I just talked myself out of it. But by the time um, Ashley announced the auditions for Little Women, the first year, I had kind of gotten myself, my self-talk into the space where I was like, well, I never really was an actor, but acting seems like a great place to come back into the to the scene because I can just worry about me. Mm. I can just like think about one character, whereas here at home, I have to run everything. (laughs) I'm the director of the house and (laughs) I don't need that. I need to go out of the house and just like be be one of the the people. Um, Now that, you know, you've known me and people who know me will know that. (laughs) Like that lasted for maybe one day um, from the day that I auditioned for the show. Uh, Ashley and Bronwyn um, were just like, I like her. And here I was thinking like they were giving me like a, a pity casting. Aww. They're like, like, oh, they know that I'm this poor mother who needs to get out of the house. But like by the end of the first rehearsal, uh, they'd offered me a seat on the board. I was designing the costumes for the show and I was organizing the uh, catering component because the immersive aspect of Little Women was to serve a holiday tea during the show. Mm -hmm. And since my husband is in the food industry and like sells muffins for a living, (laughs) (laughs) I had I had um, special access. (laughs) So, yeah. And and because of my perspective on accessibility um, because of what I was trying to do for my son in the arts. That became my 
area on the board for Women's Theater Festival. But again, because I'm me and I can't stop doing things, mm-hmm. um, I just I went all in on WTF and I just started putting every skill that I had, every resource that I had towards it. And Ashley and Bronwyn became my best friends and people that I just loved working with, like work was such a joy, such a bright spot to further this cause, to make this theater company succeed. And um, Bronwyn had to step back from being managing director. Um, she had a baby and, you know, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, so even in the throes at the time of I was very ill, I'd been in bed for three months and Ashley trusted me enough to make me her partner or yeah make me her partner so how long have you been managing director um basically since january but i was kind of like transitioning through the month of december from my bed (laughs) yes yes so i want to hear more about what the managing director does but let's talk a little bit about this because you you mentioned some health challenges that you have been facing during the time and and maybe before the time that you became the managing director of Women's Theater Festival would you like to to tell us a little bit about how this affects your your work yes or has not affected your work oh it did it's a, it's giving it's given me pause and lots of perspective when you spend six months in bed. (laughs) You have a lot of time to reflect and to really hone in what your priorities are and what your goals are and what you want. Um, So, yeah, so last for last year's Women's Theater Festival, again, like out of that one production of Little Women, a backstage conversation about girls growing up in the Mormon faith and how they are treated about sexuality and the things that they're taught and the ways that they're taught became the germ of a devised piece, which became Licked Cupcake, which I directed and created with my company, my team, um, in like four months. Wow. So we created an entire brand new two-act devised play for the festival within four months. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're not producing theater, the producing part is like 85%. So um, when I say we created a play in four months. We were also doing all the things to make sure that people come to the play right. in four months. And, you know, we enjoyed great audiences and good feedback from critics. So I was really, uh, uh, you know, pushing myself to the edge of what I was capable of doing physically, emotionally, mentally, um, still parenting, still um, trying to be a partner to my husband who was picking up all the slack at home. Um, and I I finished the festival and I went on a trip with my sisters um, on the West Coast. And we basically we went from Seattle to L.A. and hit every wine country <laughs> along the way. <laughs> so I thought these like rundown feelings that I was having were because of, you know, Oh, I'm drinking too much. That's why my tongue feels all lacerated and weird and I have this headache all over. I'm just hungover. Um, 
But I came home and I kept getting sicker and I still was like, oh, I I have a sore throat. It's probably strep from being on an airplane. And then, uh, oh, it's probably the flu. I haven't gotten around to getting my flu shot yet. Uh, And then by the time I actually got into my primary care provider's office, I could barely walk. Every part of my body was inflamed. All of my lymph nodes were poking out and bulbous all over my body. Um, And so she she just gave me one look and she's like, you have something autoimmune. I don't know what it is, but we're going to work on this. And that process of trying to figure out what it was, it takes a really long time, first of all. And they can't treat you because the only way to treat an autoimmune disorder is to give you uh, start with high doses of prednisone and things that would, you know, suppress your immune system. Mm -hmm. So it would mask the symptoms and the inflammation and they wouldn't be able to find it. So throughout this whole process, (laughs) I was supposed to be producing the second year's production of Little Women. Um, So I'm I'm doing that virtually, right? I'm behind the scenes trying to do all the things that a producer of a big show would do. But at the same time, I can barely walk to get out of bed, to get in the bathtub. I needed help to even pull uh, pants on. Um, And going from doctor to doctor, you know, the first, I don't know, you know, this is an arts podcast, but Mm -hmm. Uh, there's in the medical community, uh, I learned quickly that there's a lack of rheumatologists out there. Hmm. Um, so the one rheumatologist that could see me, um, basically just gaslighted me, you know, said, Oh, you're just another one of those mothers with fibromyalgia. Mm. You need to go to a pain management clinic. There's nothing wrong with you. I will do all these tests and they're going to be expensive and you're going to have to pay for them, but uh, they're going to prove to you that nothing's wrong with you. And so he did his tests and uh, tested for all the regular stuff, the lupus and the rheumatoid arthritis. And he's like, see, nothing's wrong with you. So then my primary care provider was like, well, maybe it's not autoimmune, but if it's not autoimmune, the other thing it could be is cancer because I had all those symptoms could also, they were all classic lymphoma symptoms. So she sent me to an oncologist, this time a woman. (laughs) And she looked at me and said, I don't think you have lymphoma. I think you have something autoimmune and rare. (laughs) She's like, but I'm going to order a CAT scan and it's going to show you that you don't have lymphoma, but hopefully it will show you what you do have. And it did. Mm. So it showed a rare type of autoimmune vasculitis that only affects one in two million women. (laughs) And uh, it uh, was affecting my celiac artery. And who knew that like... Just some inflammation on one artery could basically make your whole body shut down, but that was the case. And by, like, finally finding the evidence, (laughs) um, I was able to get to UNC Rheumatology, and they started to treat me, and I started to get better. So when was that? That was Christmas. It was, uh, I was celebrating Christmas with my family when the rheumatologist 
called me and he's such a great guy. Like he calls his patients. He'll sit on the phone for 45 minutes at a time to talk to you about, you know, what your treatment plans, uh, um, your options are and what you want to do. And he, um, he really respected the fact that I came in with all this research and highlighted things mm-hmm. because that's what I do. Um, and he said, okay, well, you're going to have to start with 60 milligrams of prednisone. And as soon as I started the prednisone, I started to feel good. But as um, anyone who's done that before, there's like that honeymoon period where you feel great and then you feel terrible again. Um, but by the time I was feeling terrible again, I was in the throes of managing director work and just trying to make it through every day. I, you know, worked from home as much as I could. And when I had to leave the house to do work, I tried to like sandwich it all in in one day. And then for two days after that, I had to (laughs) flop out (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, from exhaustion and just work from bed. But doing the work saves me. I, it makes me feel better. It makes me feel like I'm whole and contributing and doing the things that I'm trained to do and that I love to do. What were the conversations that you had with Ashley and the other staff members associated with Women's Theater Festival as you were looking at transitioning into this managing director position, and yet you also knew that you were going to have to make some accommodations given your health um, challenges? Well, that is the thing about Women's Theater Festival is it's a company about making opportunities for women. And we want all women. We want women with disabilities. We want women of color. We want women who are mothers. We understand that women have children and that sometimes those children have to come along and that's okay. (laughs) Um, And again, these were my best friends at the time, you know, they, Ashley and Bronwyn were on my side, you know, every day, you know, we divided up tasks and talked about how I was feeling that day. And we just hit the deadlines. We just Mm -hmm. did. Did you, have you put other structures in place to, um, in case, so the reason that I'm asking this is because I feel like we, and I include myself in this, we suffer from the, this is the way it's always been done, mentality when it relates to the responsibilities and the roles within theater. And I feel like, It's a challenge for us to think about what is possible. So I like to bring up, if I can, or at least investigate the way other ways that people are doing this work just to give inspiration and ideas so that we can interrogate our traditional approach. Yeah. So so how do you do it? So that was the thing when Ashley said, yes, I pick you. Naturally, you're my choice. I want you to be my partner. Um, She said, but we don't know what's going to happen to you in the next few months to a year. So the safeguard we put in place is we took uh, $1,000 from each of our stipends for the year and put that towards hiring an assistant. Um, 
so she we she's Sarah Coop, which you've had Katie Coop on yes. here. Yay, um, Sarah Coop. Yeah, Katie Coop. Yeah, Sarah Coop is our executive assistant, and this was something I researched. Basically, um, what we had started thinking was Ashley was like, well, you need an assistant managing director who can step in and fill in for you when needed. And she's like, well, I'll get an assistant artistic director who can step in for me when needed. And the thing about, you know, working not from an office, right? Like trying to work virtually and trying to do things at the speed and magnitude that we do things. Um, after just kind of researching how other companies do it, I I learned about an executive assistant. So instead of us paying two assistants half as much that we would pay one assistant mm-hmm. <laughs> twice as much um, so that she could connect us and our calendars and our work. So um, Sarah always has the like the fullest picture of everything that's going on at Women's Theater Festival. And the three of us share a Google calendar <laughs> so that we always know when one of us is available to do something, when one of us is not available to do something. And she just keeps... Um, everything connected so that we don't have to uh, waste time, waste precious time when we can be doing things to report about the things that we are going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing that I did as, when I started, um, I was, you know, redoing all of our different contracts. That was the thing, like looking at our contracts and our employment and agreements. Um, so for Ashley and I, I basically made us each a contract of like, here's what an artistic director typically does. Here's what a managing director t- typically does. Now let's look at that and let's see what us as partners, what we're going to do. Mm. What are your strengths here? What are my strengths here? What are the things that I love to do? What are the things you love to do? What are the things we hate to do? <laughs> um, what And what are the ways that we can support each other as collaborators to to get this vision, this mission of the Women's Theater Festival to move forward and to be sustainable. And that's um, that's been my goal as managing director. My, you know, the company has been just a juggernaut because it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've had lots of this. Uh, groundswell of support we have including you we have members who have you know helped raise the money we have such an active community of artists and people who are coming to these shows and supporting this work um and it's gotten us this far it's gotten us to be a company in its third year with a 501c3 who can now apply for uh grants and what i was interested in because as an artist, this is also what I'm interested in. I'm a, I'm primarily a, a divisor. Mm. Um, the older I get, the more interested I am in structure and the framework and putting a container around something. So I knew that was something that I could do for Women's Theater Festival, that I could help put the framework together so that this company lasts and lasts because it should. <laughs> what is that framework Look like. What do you mean when you when you talk about a container? Um. So it, the reason we've been able to do so much so fast is just the energy of our core members, particularly Ashley. Um, 
and myself and that like just lighting up firecrackers everywhere. Um, but we, but we know as <laughs> women who are, you know, I'm, I'm looking 40 in the eye. Mm. Um, that isn't sustainable. You can't do that forever. You can't keep coming up with new tricks. Mm. At some point, you have to uh, put in, put in the foundational stuff that will keep the company going. And it can be really, uh, it can be boring to talk about, you know, lots of people don't want to talk about these things. And I love that you do. But like one of the big things that I've been researching is uh, constituent management systems, CRMs, um, because we have to find ways to keep our core donors and our volunteers and our artists engaged to not burn them out, but to not let them forget either and to make sure that everyone's appreciated and to connect all these various parts that we have going full steam ahead because we have such wonderful women spearheading it all Mm -hmm. um so yeah so i've been doing that (laughs) and you know putting in communication systems that work for people you know in the past we'd be you know just responding to people on Facebook Messenger and then there's long chains of emails and stuff's getting lost and as an organization we had been using a program called Basecamp and it wasn't delighting our board very much you know it wasn't terribly user friendly so you know that was one of my first things that I did structurally is like okay let's research a communication platform that does work for us let's try something else and change can be hard and transitioning can be hard so you know I just tried to do that whole transition phase (laughs) with a big smile on my face Mm -hmm. Um, and you know we have now we use slack I'm sure many of your listeners are using slack Mm -hmm. Um, you know we we have project management systems in place. We, we're putting workflow systems in place. Um, and as we do it, as we intentionally not just do things on the fly, we are uh, putting in pieces of training that other women can then access. So we're create, you know, we're creating uh, more content through our YouTube channel. We're trying to, like, for example, our marketing director, um, who is she's she's a remote marketing director, so she lives in Orlando, and you know, we have you know different team captains for the different marketing aspects who are here local, who are working with her, and so one of the things was, you know, she doesn't know what Snapchat does. I don't either. Okay. (laughs) Let me, I don't understand it whatsoever. But so one of our 19 year old members did a video tutorial to show her how to use Snapchat. So now that video can show all of us how to use Snapchat to market our theater productions. Um, So now that's a piece of training material that other people can do. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's, that's one of the ways I'm trying to make the the work sustainable. And so that the women who come through WTF, who are maybe early career directors, producers, stage managers, um, theater administrators, or don't know that they're theater administrators yet, Mm -hmm. um, start getting the tools so that they can keep getting the jobs. I love that 
you are contributing to the sustainability of the organization in this way. It's so important. And it might not seem like the sexiest piece of the art making, but it's crucial. You can't, we have to, we have to treat our creative institutions with seriousness and a sense of professionalism instead of this fly by the seat of your pants kind of mentality, because as you mentioned before, it is not sustainable. And we also can't allow other people access to doing the work if it's not organized and transferable and complete. Mm -hmm. Yes. You mentioned earlier that you looked at the tasks associated with the managing director and the artistic director and that you and Ashley went through those and um, had conversations about them. And you've also then talked about some of the tasks that you have been working on as a managing director of Women's Theater Festival. But from your point of view, what does a managing director do? (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think that I... uh, (laughs) <laughs> I know, right? Where to begin? Right? A managing director. What do I do all day? I I have been wanting to like put 48 hours in my life up on the WTF blog so that mm-hmm. people could really see like all the things that managing directors do. Um, but big picture wise, I am doing those boring things. I am making sure people have contracts, making sure that they're signed, making sure that we have our liability insurance, that it doesn't lapse, that the payments were made, um, communicating with our treasurer, making sure we have enough money in our bank account to uh, pay the contracts that we've promised. And if we don't, um, to activate our board and say, what are we going to do? Mm. (laughs) so I do things like that. I look at what is working organizationally and what isn't and try to problem solve that. And also to look to other organizations, you know, what makes other arts organizations successful? What um, makes others fail? And how do we learn from their successes and their missteps? Um, it's There's a lot of humility involved. You have to be willing to listen to everybody and then at the end of the day have faith in yourself and your ability to make a decision and inspire everyone else on the team to Mm -hmm. go that way with you Um, Ashley's incredible at that Um, she is so great at getting people to jump in the boat and paddle in the same direction Um, So that is, I think, part of why we've been successful so far. Um, And so now I'm trying to keep them in the boat. I think that's (laughs) part of what a managing director does. Um, The other big thing I'm doing is uh, outreach components. How do we build audiences? Um, How do we look outside the people who are coming to the theater and get more of them there. So, um, you know, this year our theme is Women Are Heroes. So uh, I came up with an outreach program for this season uh, called the Hero Organization Program. And so we've paired each of our main stage productions with a different nonprofit organization uh, here in our community in the Triangle who's doing what we consider heroic work. And then figuring out what that partnership can look like 
for a hero performance and for us to do cross-promotional marketing so that their base learns about us and our base learns about them. Um, so that's like one great way to do good work, to make good things happen in this crazy, crazy world. Could you give us an example so that people understand oh, yeah. what you're what you um, So uh, our first production this season, Crumble, Lay Me Down, Justin Timberlake, um, one of the characters in the play has 57 cats. So we reached out to Safe Haven for Cats. We thought it would be cool for her to go in in character and, uh, you know, talk to the cats and do like PSAs <laughs> for cat adoption. Uh, and it, it was a cute, lovely little viral marketing campaign. Um, and then we had Safe Haven come for the hero performance this past weekend and they brought kittens and they had volunteers to talk about, you know, what we can do, uh, Kittens get people really. Oh my excited. gosh, I'm excited yeah. right now just thinking about yeah. a kitten. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like you people walk in the door and they're just like oh, kittens. Yeah. It just, I think it just put the whole audience in such a great frame of mind to see the show, <laughs> and then you know the audience comes out and they're like, okay, well, what can we do? What does WTF need? What does Safe Haven need? How can we get more involved? And it's beautiful. And our, our next production, Parallel Lives, um, we're partnering, partnering with the LGBT Center of Raleigh. And one of the initiatives is um, for LGBTQ teens and young adults um, to get them to the theater, um, to get them to come see the show. Uh, we, ha- we were working on sponsoring tickets um, to give them away mm-hmm. so that young people can come. Um, we're going to do some, the, some of the characters from Parallel Lives are also going to do some uh, encouraging coming out PSAs for young people. And we'll take it from there. And we have, um, for the Shining Lives, we have Raleigh Women in Business who are sponsoring the RTP Young Women in Bio nice. to come to the pro- to a special teen performance and um that that day is also going to be our lights up sound down relaxed performance for that show which is another of my initiatives Mm -hmm. um to be more accessible um as an artist as a mother with a child on the spectrum i want him to be able to inhabit the spaces that i inhabit and it is soul crushing when he can't because of just the way he experiences and interprets the world. Um, what I mean by that is, listeners, is that, you know, if I take him to a show, even if it's geared towards kids his age, and he's, you know, jumping up and down in his seat or talking out loud about what he's seeing, that upsets other patrons and makes them feel that it is their right mm. to tell us to leave, that we don't belong there. Um And so I'm working with Women's Theater Festival, one audience one company at a time to kind of reframe what our expectation is of audience members and what that that we can not just welcome everyone on paper but we can we can do it in real life and mm-hmm. so one 
accessible performance at a time. So we call it a relaxed performance. Each of our productions has one. And people who have sensory sensitivities are welcome. People who might have tick disorders or things that make them distracting in an audience and make them feel that this is not for them, that that they feel free to come and they feel free to get up and move and they feel free to go take a break in the lobby or find a quiet place and then come back that that all those things are okay with us um, and we'll accommodate and help do that to the best of our ability uh, because children like my child grow up to be adults and they want to be a part of the arts my son loves to perform he loves to paint he loves to go to shows but he he can't do it like your average human being so that's really important to me so i'm hoping i I feel like these shining lives will also be very interesting to to teen girls and young women who are on the spectrum and um we're gonna get them there (laughs) we're gonna get them there and make them feel that that they're part of this i remember you saying that as actors, we are trained in radical empathy. So now as theater makers, we just need to extend that beyond the stage. I wonder, maybe you have some thoughts about why that as a practice is mostly confined to the stage rather than, than expanding it into the rest of the building. Right. Um, because it's hard for people. Um, as a director, I I get that. You know, when when I feel um, our directors bristle a little bit at, wait, I have to leave the lights on for one of the shows. Um, because you have to let go of control. You have to uh, give over a little of that. So that's that's an improvisation technique right so maybe directors and producers aren't don't have those muscles and maybe your actors forget that like we can extend that Mm. to how we how we treat our audience that we can um give over a little bit of the control of the experience to be more welcoming um and to accept that we're not quite sure what's going to happen um but it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, again, for the first year of Little Women, uh, it was a radical idea when I was like, well, let's make the whole show, sen- like the whole run. Why can't it just be sensory friendly? Why can't it be, this is this is Little Women. It's a play about the March family and everybody's welcome at the March family table. And so we did. And for some of the actors, you know, that was that was hard to to know that, okay, there's someone in the audience who might shout out, um, there's gonna be a wheelchair at this spot where I'm not used to seeing a wheelchair and I've got to access that alleyway. And once it's over, they say, Hey, that wasn't that wasn't that wasn't bad. That was kind of great. And you get the feedback from these audiences um, at, at one of those little women performances. A mother came up and hugged me and she was crying and talking about how when she was a girl, she saw little women on stage with her mother and that she didn't think she'd get that experience with her own daughter. And that's 
everything that mother and that daughter got to experience live theater together. They got to be in a room where all this was happening. And the the actors embraced it. The critics embraced it. We had um, critics there on nights when we had, you know, more audibly loud audience members. And they wrote it into the reviews, you know, that at first I noticed, but then I stopped noticing and everything was okay. And so we just have to, I just keep doing that one cast at a time, mm-hmm. one audience at a time um, so that they get to the other side, like green eggs and ham and are like, say, I don't <laughs> like this. This can be okay. Right, right. Um, because the goal is not to have one special segregated performance one time (laughs) when (laughs) these people can come out. (laughs) Um, But for it to become more universal, and that is something that is interesting to Ashley and I. There's uh, in, in Britain, there's a lot of this, the the concept of relaxed performance Mm -hmm. um, and engaging the full spectrum of the disability community in work. And that is something that we are definitely working towards. And that um, that's a huge goal that I have is a completely all access, all ages production mm-hmm. for WTF. Um, Cause it's important, you know, <laughs> and I just, you know, with our directors just last week, you know, I had to, they want to know the why, why are we doing this? You know, oh, I don't want to do it on this day because a critic come this day, a reviewer could be there. And, you know, I just have to keep going and keep showing them that that's that's a good thing. (laughs) That's a good thing (laughs) for more people to know that this is possible. Um, And that, you know, families like mine, we get to a point really early on. I mean, my my son wasn't even three years old before we just didn't feel welcome in the spaces that other families were inhabiting. And we stopped doing things with our child. We stopped going out <laughs> with our child. And then um, one of the first successful things that we did was the Museum of Life and Science here in Durham did, partnered with TEACH, um, which is, you know, a local autism organization, and created a, a sensory-friendly um, World Autism Day. And it was all families like ours at the museum. And that's when it, like, clicked for us that, like, when we see that, we know it's for us. Like, we know we're welcome there. And that is another thing that we're learning, Ashley and I are learning in the theater community, that we want women of color to be involved. We don't want this to be the white, able-bodied women's theater festival. Mm -hmm. We want this to be every women's theater festival. And it's not enough to put out on casting notices that we want everyone to audition. Sometimes you have to write. We are specifically and intentionally seeking women of color. We are specifically and intentionally reaching out to this audience base Um, because you get, I know now from my own experience that very quickly you feel like unless you see those words, you are not welcome there. Um, So that's 
<laughs> I think that's what the managing director does at yes. Women's Theater Festival. <laughs> yes. So I have a final question okay. for you. And before I ask the final question, I just want to thank you for your work because I think this, these are important conversations to have and really important initiatives to put in front of the public. So yes. thank you so much for that. And this question actually has something to do with that. I feel like as artists, as people, we have challenging events that happen and that the people who are surrounding us don't always know how to support one another through those life events, whether they're short term or long term. And we call ourselves a, a theater community, yet I, I think sometimes we um, don't uphold entirely that notion of community because when people are in crisis or facing setbacks, there is this tendency to just charge forward and leave those folks behind, which is not, I think, what a really healthy community would do. There's no sense of stopping and, um, and assisting, stopping the process, stopping the forward motion. So what... Based on your experiences, what kinds of support have meant the most to you? Or what kinds of support would you most like to see extended to people who are facing some challenges, whether they're parenting challenges or health challenges or just life challenges? Yeah. So there are two things. Um, the first one is being seen for someone to say, I see you. I see what you're going through. I see what you are overcoming. I see these miraculous things that you're doing each day. Um, to be, to be seen, to be seen, to be, that is helpful. Um, and it's not so much that you need praise all the time. Um, but to know that that somebody's noticing what you're doing. So just being here today, just being asked, like, hey, I've noticed what you're doing. Will you come talk about it? Um, that, that means everything. That's the whole thing. You know, when my son asked me where I was going, I'm like, I'm going to be interviewed because somebody wants to know about mommy's work. That's that's the thing to make people feel valued and cherished and um, to to work the, again as an autism mom. You know, the first thing that you learn is you have to work from the strengths. You you take what's what's going great and you amplify that and you go all in on those things. Um, and the flip side of that is when you can't. Just focus on the positive and focus on the strengths. Mm -hmm. My husband does call me Anne Frank. <laughs> that I always believe in the good of people no matter what happens to me. Um, the other piece of that, which was um, the advice of my longtime mentor from NYU, the great Marlene Pennison. Um, she said, make the problem the solution. And I do that every single day, probably a hundred times a day. Take what it is that is feels like the obstacle and feels like the problem and try to say, okay, good. I can't get out of bed today. 
what can I do from bed? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what things can happen now? Mm-hmm. Um, and then that opens you up to a whole range of possibilities that you never would have thought of that are ultimately more creative, more exciting, and more rich for the shared experience of your audience and your collaborators. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like that it, all the time <laughs> in my house, it, at WTF, it, um, at everything I do. It's like, oh. Well, if we can identify the problem, we can change that. We can turn it into the solution. And we do it all the time. <laughs> I, lo- I love that because I think it's also it's allowing us to do what we can do and celebrating that. And yeah. saying like, hey, that's great that you can do that. I'm going to let you do that. I'm yeah. not going to say that that's not enough. If you can't do all 100% of a thing, then you can't do any of it. You right. know, it's, it's, and we need to work. We need to have purpose. We need to have community. We need to contribute. So let everyone contribute in the way that they can, at, given the circumstances. Exactly. It's another act. It, it all goes back to that basic acting training. Like, what are the given circumstances? And how can I play the strongest, most positive action in these circumstances? And that's what we do. And so, like you were saying, what we can apply to our craft and our training, we've got to, like, expand it and apply it to our the way we engage as an organization and as humans. <laughs> Thank you so much Thank for you. being here. Johanna, you are an inspiration. And you are. I love... I loved our conversation before today, and I loved our conversation today. So thank you so much. Thank you. For thank everything you, f- you do. Thank you for this podcast. I tell you, I listen to it every week. <laughs> I am totally obsessed. And I think what you're doing with this podcast is really elevating and legitimizing the work of triangle artists that, you, again, you're making sure that we're seen. You're making sure that... Uh, people know that great work is happening here and great people are doing it so thank you yes you are welcome great people are here and great work is being done and i'm so excited to be a part of it so artist soapbox is a listener supported podcast if you would like to support the podcast you may do so via our patreon page patreon.com slash artist soapbox you can visit our website artistsoapbox.org for show notes and other interesting information today's episode was recorded at shadowbox studios in durham north carolina shadowboxstudio.org is their website thank you so much and we're out